0: Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book, Why Buddhism is True, The Science and Philosophy of Meditation and Enlightenment. The author, equipped with a modern perspective and a competent understanding of both evolutionary history and psychology, addresses Buddhist philosophy and argues Buddhist philosophy's validity is rooted in science. In a scene from the original Matrix movie, a science fiction action film from 1999, the main character, Neo, finds out that he has been living in a dream world. The life he thought he had is really a detailed hallucination orchestrated by robot overlords. He encounters Morpheus the leader of a rebellion against the overlords. Morpheus explains to Neo that the dream world is a prison for enslaved people known as the Matrix. He says that he cannot convey the totality of the Matrix. The only means to experience the full picture is to see it for himself. Morpheus offers Neo two pills. One is blue, and the other is red. Swallowing the blue pill will return Neo to his dream world but taking the red pill will allow him to be free of his literal constraints and loosen his mental bonds. Neo takes the red pill, determining to search for the truth and embrace personal freedom. The Matrix makes its audience wonder if they too may inhabit a grandiose illusion, does someone or something control them all the time? Wright believes that people's suspicions are justified. He introduces the movie as a metaphor to explain that natural selection is a delusional hypothesis engineered by robot overlords, controlling everybody. People are just like those who slumber in the matrix, willingly swallowing the blue pill. Luckily, we have right to lead our rebellion. He insists that there is a red pill to reveal reality. By taking it, we will see through the delusion and discover truth. For right, that pill is the mindful meditation of Buddhist thought. Listening in to our reading of this book will be your first step towards taking the red pill. By linking modern thought and ancient wisdom, Wright offers us a novel and credible experience of Buddhist philosophical principles. Coming up, we will explore the book's major points through three parts. Part 1. Natural Selections Ascendancy Part 2. The Scientific Basis of Buddhist Philosophy Part 3. How Mindfulness Meditation Breaks Free from Worries and Suffering Part 1, Natural Selection's Ascendancy When discussing natural selection, the work that might immediately spring to mind is Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species expounding his influential theories of the survival of the fittest. You may also dwell on the wide variation in the plants and animals on earth or the dramatic extinction of dinosaurs who once dominated the planet. These grand phenomena are all effects of natural selection. However, besides these notable phenomena, our brain influences many apparently insignificant choices in daily life, and these are also manifestations of natural selection. That is to suggest that willful autonomous self-control may not be continuously operative as we would like to believe. For example, even though we know we need to lose some weight, we may not be able to resist the temptation of delicious donuts. Or, we find ourselves lingering on Twitter or YouTube even though our work still needs to be completed or even though we max out our credit cards every month, we still can't resist agreeing to take out a monthly installment plan to get our hands on the latest video gaming console. So why would we do such things? That's where the goals of natural selection come in. The ultimate goal of natural selection is to pass our genes onto the next generation. The role assigned to all living beings is propagating our genes. To state it simply, every one of us is physically driven to act in ways that assist our genes being spread, all activities, such as eating, playing, making love, acquiring money and power, play a part. So how does natural selection control our behavior? The answer is that it influences our sensory system, to put it simply, how we feel. Feelings are our primary motivators. Natural selection encourages us to choose or reject certain behaviors by attaching them to pleasant and unpleasant feelings. On the good side, these feelings make us do things that benefit the spread of genes, such as nourishing ourselves by eating, resting our bodies, sleeping, and, particularly, having sex. Conversely, bad feelings make us avoid the things that could impede the spread of genes, such as things that might kill us. We keep away from the precipices, the edges of waterfalls, venomous snakes, and rotten food. Though humans have evolved to become more discerning and the range of events needed to be processed have become increasingly complex, the underlying logic driving our thoughts and behaviors is still guided by feelings. Our growing intellect has not supplanted feelings, it has only caused them to be more astute. It is a process where our feelings tell us what to think, and then reasoning tells us how to act. For instance, people don't like to be excluded, so reflecting on why they may annoy or displease others, why our friends may have suddenly turned against us, we try to learn how to be more popular. Then what is the role of reason? Wright argues that reason is fundamentally a persuasive tool, enhancing the feelings that account for people's essential motivation. For example, when you want to buy a coat with a hood, you might do a lot of research online you might carefully compare the quality and price of products from different brands and selling platforms. But when you make a final decision, it's because your rational analysis tells you that you have now maximized how good you'll feel after buying it. Actually, if you look back at your initial motive of buying a warm coat, it's also from a feeling, the feeling of not wanting to be cold in winter. In addition to being the primary motives for our activities, feelings play a part in categorizing and setting priorities. From the perspective of natural selection, feelings allow us to put things in order, ranking our thoughts with labels that say things like urgently important, medium priority, or of little concern. Imagine you are suddenly informed you are giving a presentation at work tomorrow. Others' perceptions of your ability to do your job will be affected by how well you perform. In this case, your sense would be label all preparatory tasks towards the presentation as of high priority. Such a feeling will overwhelm other priorities, lay on the pressure and increase your anxiety. In the evening, everything you do will revolve around planning and preparation. So, you might cancel a date or opt for fast food instead of cooking a meal as you usually would. You might even feel too nervous to sleep. However, if you were given several weeks to prepare for the presentation, your feelings would then label it a low priority. For the time being, there would be no point in feeling too nervous. Since feelings give us primary motives and affect judgments, they appear to be incredibly important. However, feelings sometimes affect us negatively, driving us to do things that seem beneficial in the moment but are actually harmful in the long run. On such occasions, the Buddha says our feelings are false, illusory. Wright provides us with a personal example. He is a fan of donuts. If he could, he would eat them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But Wright knows that donuts only give him a temporary hit, only momentarily satisfying his desire. His cravings and the positive feelings he associates with sating his appetite for donuts are simple illusions. Donuts do not actually do his body any good. Wright's experience with donuts begs the question, why does natural selection sanction such an effect? Shouldn't our feelings guide us to choose what is good for our health so that we can live and procreate longer? Well, in theory, yes, but in the process of evolution, what was good for us in the past may now have become less advantageous. Imagine this In ancient times, our ancestors had limited access to sugar, except for occasionally finding honey or enjoying the sweetness of ripe fruit. Therefore, natural selection matched good feelings with sweet tastes, thus, encouraging us to eat more sweet. In that past era, the good feeling was a true advantage. However, it's too easy to get sweets and eat too much of them in modern society, and overconsumption of sugar will hurt our bodies. So now, the love for sweet things that drives us to eat them has become false and ineffective. Those good feelings associated with loving sweets have become bad illusions. On top of our feelings guiding our decisions, natural selection implants other notions intended to benefit the spread of our genes. An example of another sort is when you have the sense that you are exceptional, thinking, my interests are unique, and I should act in my own interest. In particular, I need to take good care of my body, rather than take care of others who I don't know so that it will be my genes that are passed on to future generations. Evidence that everybody considers themselves especially privileged above others is found in all sorts of mundane activities. When you are hailing a cab and notice someone nearby wants one too, you might raise your arm higher to ensure that you attract the taxi. You might do this subconsciously, even if you have time to spare and see that the other person looks like they are in a desperate hurry. Like the idea of being special, another human universal is that people tend to attribute a precious inner essence to objects and events. On this subject, Wright cites Paul Bloom, a Canadian psychologist. In his book How Pleasure Works, Bloom says that people are essentialists by nature and organize essences into categories of the exotic and the ordinary. We attribute an exotic essence to particular items. They are often associated with historical or significant events, important people or hold some unique personal significance. For example, a tape measure, formerly the property of US President John F. Kennedy, was brought for $48,875. The buyer apparently believed that this tape measure was imbued with a special presidential essence. But if the buyer were told that it was a mistake and the tape measure belonged to an ordinary carpenter, its essence would immediately evaporate. Compared to the particularity of highly charged exotic essences, ordinary essences are the mild emotions we attach to everyday things. An ordinary essence lacks a compelling force and may be hardly noticeable. For example, if we walk past a house, we may comment that it's a pretty house, an ugly house, or an unusual house. Or when we read an article, we may say it's an interesting article, an important article, or a trivial article. In these cases, the emphasis remains that it is just a house or just an article. The things have essences, but they are weak, just sufficient to bestow a descriptive adjective. Okay, now let's quickly recap the first part. We learned that ensuring genes are passed on is the primary goal of natural selection. To this end, we become controlled by our feelings and the illusions that feelings generate. Natural selection implants all sorts of ideas in our minds, discreetly influencing our thinking and actions, intended to bolster our vitality, thereby benefiting the spread of our genes. Our being born was an advantage of these processes, and, through our lives, we strive to produce more of the same gene pool.